0: Yo, Welcome to the Autumn Miles Show. Autumn is a best-selling author, popular speaker, and wife who is obsessed with her husband and four crazy kids. She is also the CEO of the Autumn Miles Ministry, as well as a lipstick and lash enthusiast. Autumn's vision is to speak to the culture with bold truth and challenge you to act in raw faith. Here's Autumn Miles.
1: Hey, hey, guys, it's your girl Autumn Miles coming back at you today. I have a very special guest, and now I have just met my guest via the phone today. However, the topic that he's going to talk about, it just hits me in a very personal way, and you guys will know why when we get into the show. So stay tuned. You are not going to want to miss this one. Thank you guys all for um, all my podcasters out there. I want to say thank you for downloading and just being a part of our crew over here. We love you guys so much. We appreciate any and all feedback. Uh, the feedback has been really powerful to us in order to, uh, uh, you know, uh, make sure that we're sharing what what you guys want to hear. Uh, we're very spirit led, y'all know that over here at the show. But um, we also are interested in things um, that that you guys want to hear. So I think I think this will be this show today will be um, really good for us all. I want to introduce. Uh, go ahead and introduce my my guest and and kind of move past all the PSAs for for today. His name is Doctor W Lee. Warren, and he's way smarter than I'll ever be. He is a brain surgeon. He's an inventor. He's an Iraq war veteran, which is amazing. A writer, a podcaster. Um, His uh, most recent book, No Place to Hide, was named to the 2015 U.S. Air Force Chief of Staff's professional reading list, which I think that is so incredibly important. He's appeared on all sorts of media outlets. Y'all know the 700 clubs. You have CBS Evening News. Um, And he wrote a book that is so incredibly interesting to me. It's called, I've seen the end of you. And um, I want to just go ahead and start dialoguing with him. So I'm going to welcome him to the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Warren. How are you?
0: Thanks, Autumn. I'm doing great. We're up here in Wyoming where we had 18 inches of snow last night.
1: So you know, people, warmer than I am. That makes people in Dallas sweat. They like start freaking out when we hear 18 inches. Have we ever got 18 inches of snow here, Dan? Probably never. <laughs> maybe in 1901 we did go get though uh dr warren we did get the first year i moved here which was in uh, 2010 in february we got a foot of snow and i will wow. never like ev like n- people didn't even open their doors they were so scared it was crazy what is it like there that'll when you shut get the so city much snow? down yeah. do what what'd you say that'll shut the city down Totally. Will will people start driving here today, or will they wait a couple days until the roads are cleared in Wyoming?
0: Oh, they're driving. They don't even they shrug off eighteen inches. So (laughs) everybody's used to it. I grew up in. I actually grew up close to you. I grew up in Broken Bow, Oklahoma.
1: You did. I know exactly where where that is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because that's not. What is that? Like a couple two hours from here, or something? Yeah, two and a half hours. Yeah. 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 Not far. You're, um, so you are, you from broken bow to brain surgery, (laughs) that's, that's, that's an amazing, that's amazing right there. You've written this book. I've seen the end of you. And as we talked briefly before we, we went on air, um, one of the things that you uh, you see when I, I, it, being a brain surgeon is um, brain cancer, and you of course diagnose it. And um, this book is a lot about uh, the diagnosis of glioblastoma, which a lot of our listeners have listened for several years. They remember when my assistant Katie Dewan was diagnosed with glioblastoma in June and she died September 28th, um, just a couple of months later. So um, it was a very, it was a shocking diagnosis for us. She was very close to me. She was like one of my kids because I'm old enough to be her mother, but um, uh, it it hit us really, really hard. So we are, we are, I was fascinated that you wrote a book and you talk specifically about this diagnosis Uh, But I want to hear from you. Tell me about the book, I've Seen the End of You. What inspired it for you?
0: So it started out with, as I got into my career, and I kept running into glioblastoma, in particular, several other neurologic diseases, but particularly glioblastoma. Because it has essentially a 100% fatal prognosis. You know, uh, almost everybody that gets it dies within 12 to 15 months. Mm. And if you get out to five years, it's less than 10% of people that are still alive. And you get out to 10 years, and it approaches statistically zero at 10 years. Wow. So I had this disease that, you know, when I, as I gained experience treating people with this problem, I began to think that I knew what was going to happen before I even met the patient, I would look at an MRI scan, and I would see in my mind how surgery was going to go, and the converse- I would hear the conversations we would have, and I would you know, see the pathology slides, and I would see when they would do chemo and radiation, and when their hair would fall out, when they would stop eating, and when they would die, and I just knew it mm. as much as I could know anything, and I would say to myself, I've seen the end of this person. I know what's going to happen here, mm. and yet I had a problem because I'm also a Christian, and, you know, the Bible says, pray without ceasing, and and never give up and God can heal all our diseases. And the effective prayer of a righteous person avails much from James five. Yeah. So I had this, this thing that I knew from science and experience and this thing that I believed that God can heal and, and God wants us to, to believe and hope and never give up. And there was this area in between where I didn't know. And so I felt sort of disingenuous when I would say to a patient, Hey, let's pray about this, let's fight this you know let's go for it and in the same breath in my mind i would be saying i already know what's going to happen
1: mm. wow um glioblastoma from what i know nothing about it okay i don't pretend to know anything but just in katie's experience it grows back really fast too is that is that correct
0: yeah i've seen them i've seen tumors that we completely resected the bigger a week later than they were before we did surgery. And that's just cancer just never goes away.
1: And that's, it's kind of like, you can't get ahead of it type thing, which is, which is what happened to her. Um, So you, so this diagnosis, which is, is horrific. I was telling um, my team as we were just reviewing the book and the notes and everything before we, uh, before we got to the studio, I was standing in the, in the waiting room, waiting um, to hear what type of cancer it was that she had and they were hoping for I don't know the different types of cancer out there I I'm <laughs> I'm not a brain surgeon like you but I just remember they were saying we don't want it to be this this glioblastoma right. and I remember them coming in and of course there was a there was just a handful of people there but it was you know silence broke out and you do it does push back on your hope you do think right. okay lord we love you and Katie was uh, oh, my gosh, she was so on fire for the Lord. She was my girl that was like, let's do it. Like, let, what, what, what is God telling you to do, Autumn? I'm going to back you up a thousand percent. And here we're faced with something that it's like, this doesn't seem uh, possible. And ultimately, God did, um, you know, transfer her to heaven. So how do you, as someone that sees this, how do you reconcile this hope, yet this science at the same time?
0: So that's really where I started with the process of trying to write this book, was trying to answer that question for myself. How can I honestly tell you to fight when I don't believe that that you're going to win? And and ultimately, I recognized from neuroscience, we know without a doubt, and even from the Bible, the Bible tells us that we we do better when we think better, right? The Mm. Philippians 4, 8 thing. So it's true in neuroscience that I can put you in a scanner, a functional MRI scanner, and tell you to think about something that makes you mad, and I can watch your brain chemistry get worse, your mood get worse, your dopamine levels fall. I can ask you to think about something that makes you grateful or happy, and I can watch your neurotransmitters improve. So it's, it's true. We know that how we think affects how we live, and there's lots of studies that show that people that keep hope and fight – they have better outcomes even if they don't survive. Their families do better. Mm. They get less infections. They spend less time in the hospital. They have lower pain scores. So, so it matters how we live, even if we don't get to choose how long we live, right? Mm. It, it affects our quality of life. And so I, I started there with just telling people that it matters. You know, you don't get to choose your days, but you can choose how you live them. Mm. And so that seemed to help. So I started kind of gathering data on how to help people how to doctor people if I couldn't fix them as a surgeon. I still needed to doctor them. Yeah. And that seemed to be important. And at the same time, there's also lots of research going on. There's lots of smart people working on this. I used to tell people, hey, there's a nerd in a lab somewhere, you know, working on this problem and I need you to stay healthy as long as you can because one of these days that you know that lady is gonna bust out of the chemistry lab with the cure in her hand. I want you to be able to get it. So I felt I had a middle ground between <laughs> right between what I knew and what I believed and it was it, it is important to keep your spirits up and mm-hmm. so that's where I started
1: so um, talk to me about you lost your your son um, I would like to just kind of hear about that story and how does that play into the book
0: well you know every parent's worst nightmare is losing a child on them and you um, our nineteen year old son Mitch uh, was killed in a really traumatic way in, in two thousand and thirteen oh. and it was the the irony of it was that it was right around the time I started writing this book, which at the time I was aiming at being a kind of a guide to helping people handle hard things how, how do we How do we handle the hard stuff that comes along in life and then i in the same night went from observing those problems and other people to being thrust into it myself and me and my family being in the in the darkness. And so we, you know, pretty quickly learned that a lot of the things that I thought were helpful to say to people when they've lost somebody aren't very helpful. Mm. There's a whole, there's a whole um, quiver of Christian platitudes that I think we hand out at church that we think will help people, you know, when we say things like, He's in a better place now, or God must have needed him more than you did, or, uh, yeah. you know, all things will work out for good because you love the Lord. You know, th- those kinds of things are, they're true, but they don't help when you're,
1: <laughs> when right. you're
0: suffering. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a really gentle person, but the closest I've ever come to punching somebody in the face was a man at, at my son's funeral, Who said, "Don't worry"? You know, Mitch knew the Lord. I'm sure he repented of whatever sins he had committed in his dying breath, and I'm I'm certain he's in heaven.
1: Oh my goodness gracious! Come on, people! Help me, right? Oh, I want to punch him in the face. What's going on here? Oh my gosh! So, (sighs) so
0: we learned we're in this dark place, and, and now we've got to figure out how to to live again and how to how to find hope again. And my problem as a Christian. Who is also a scientist was, but this might surprise you. But I believe in God more because I'm a scientist. Because I, because over the course of my 20-year career, every time we get better technology and we can look deeper into the human body, there's more organization. Like it gets more complex and more interesting and more fascinating and more obviously designed mm. the deeper we can look into it. So I didn't have the option. Of not believing, like I did, you know, a lot of people when they encounter something hard, they say, "Well, that's it. I don't believe in a God. If this kind of thing can happen," but I was stuck with knowing there's a God, but not liking Him,
1: Mm, which really was a a
0: bad problem.
1: Wow, (laughs) you don't have
0: anything to hold on to if you can't. You feel like you can't trust God, or you don't like Him, or He's mean, or He's out to get you. If you feel that stuff, you don't have any place to land, and then you're even worse off. And that's when I discovered. Really, that, that cancer is not the deadliest thing that can happen to you. Losing your faith is. Losing hope is worse than brain cancer. Because if you don't have hope, you really don't have anything.
1: I, okay, let's just sit on that for a second. Um, I have four children myself. And uh, let me just say, just, I am so incredibly sorry about the loss of your son. It, it truly is... Um, I think my greatest fear, uh, um, and it's something that you've had to live through. And I am just so in- incredibly sorry about that. I-, I, I, can't even, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. And there is, there is, you know, words that I'll never be able to say that, uh, you know, we, I just can't even imagine. I'm so sorry. I find it though. So interesting. Um, you know, as you walk through, I, I just, I just find this book so fascinating because, here you see this every day, and and you were kind of forced to deal with it on a personal level. What you just said, I think, is where a lot of people are at. Um, knowing there's a God, but you don't like him. Or maybe, let me just transfer the words, knowing there's a God, but you're mad at him. Knowing there's a right. God, but you're angry at him because he didn't come through when you think that he should have come through. Um, knowing there's a God, I, we hear this all the time at the ministry. He didn't answer my prayer. He must not, what up, whatever, fill in the blank. Um, can you talk, can we just sit in that for a second? Because I feel like right now there are people that are leaned in and listening. And this is a very, this is something Dr. Warren that people don't say out loud. Um, they go to church, but they would never tell you this. Can you talk me through um, and, and you can tie hopelessness into this as well. Uh, you know, answer however you want. But I just feel like, just from a ministry perspective, in this moment, this is exactly where somebody is at, and you've seen it and you've dealt with it. Can you can you tell me how you've you 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 dealt with it and and move forward?
0: I can, um, and really, that's why I wrote the book, Autumn. It, you know, I the, the subtitle is faith, doubt, and the things we think we know, right? So the reason that I I enumerated those three things is when Lisa and I were faced with the loss of our son and our other, you know, we had four other kids. Um, And to make matters worse, our first granddaughter um, was born in San Antonio three days after Mitch died. So our oldest, I know, so our oldest daughter, you know, had been anticipating us being there for her
1: in San Antonio.
0: And so she can't come to her brother's funeral. We can't come to our granddaughter's birth. (laughs) it was just this horrible mix of things. And it felt like God was just, you know, pile driving us. And so we were in this place where we felt really hopeless, angry, scared, you know, all of a sudden it's possible for one of your kids to die. So now you're afraid for all of the other ones. And our, our our youngest, uh, Kalen was a junior in high school. And, you know, like we didn't want to let her leave the house, right? Because now kids can die. So oh. you can't leave because something bad can happen to you. Like it, it became this really terrifying thing. And what we realize is that, that doubt springs up in your heart, and doubt says, I don't know to you. He says, doubt says, I don't know if God is real, I don't know if God loves me, I don't know if we'll make it through this, I don't know if it'll ever feel okay again. And that quickly can lead to fear, which will tell you, no, God doesn't love you, you will not get through this, you won't be able to recover from this, you know, will your marriage survive? Yeah, I don't know if your marriage will survive this. So, So doubt is okay. Because doubt lets you question, but it quickly can fall over into fear, and fear is not okay. And fear you don't have any hope if you're in fear. Mm. And we were in fear. Mm. And we had to basically say, gosh, all these platitudes that Christians are saying to us are not helpful, but I still I desperately needed to believe that I was going to get to see Mitch again someday. So mm. I really need that promise in the Bible that says that there's going to be a resurrection. I need that mm. to be true. Yeah. But then it dawned on me if the Bible says God can't tell a lie, all scripture is God breathed and approved, and that I get to see my son. If those things are true, then the rest of them have to be true, too. So there's got to be some way for me to believe that Psalm 3418 can be true when it says God is close to the brokenhearted, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I started noticing. I would wake up in the morning, and somehow I would be able to get my feet on the ground, and somehow I'd be able to get to the kitchen. And almost inevitably that day there would be an email or a voicemail from somebody somewhere that said, hey, I'm praying for you, or, hey, here's a book I read that might help you, or here's a scripture that might be beneficial to you today. And just every day, little bits of grace, I can see it now, I couldn't really feel it then, but every day there was something that propelled us forward just a little bit. And when it was time to go back to work, you know, we owned our own business. My wife ran our medical practice, I was a solo practice doctor, we lived in Alabama at the time, and. We quickly realized, like, our business is going to go under. Our employees are going to starve. You know, we're going to be in trouble if we don't go back to work. And mm-hmm. our and our daughter, who's a junior in high school, like, you're going to flunk out of school if you don't go back to school at some point, right? So, so life doesn't stop when you're hurting.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and we had this little shrine. I don't. It's not really a shrine, but we had a a collection of stuff that people had brought and pictures of Mitch and, you know, stuff on a, a little table by our front door. And I, I walked into the living room one day, and Kaylin, our daughter, was standing there the day she was going to go back to school. And she was looking at a picture of Mitch, and she said, Mitch, I won't ever be able to move on, but I've got to carry on with my life. Oh, and my that became like this, this life-giving moment for us. That we, it's okay. Mitch wants us to carry on. Like mm. he, he wants us to keep living. And a friend of mine who's a doctor said, hey, your son would not want one death to have a 200% mortality rate. Like he, he doesn't want his death to kill you too. Like You've got to move back into your life to find some way to honor him and redeem some of that. And over time, just all of that stuff started allowing us, we couldn't really see light yet, but we mm-hmm. could believe that light was coming again. Mm-hmm. And that was enough to make it through another day. And so, and I don't really have a better answer for that, mm. but when, when you're in that place between doubt and fear, because it's usually because something you thought you knew turned out not to be true. So you think your spouse will always be faithful. You think your kids will outlive you. You think that your finances will hold up, but, and then something happens and those things aren't true. If your life isn't built on something that can't be taken from you, then you really can fall apart. And that's. That's what I think we learned. We had, to, we had to find some way to attach our hope again to something that couldn't be taken from us since we had learned that pretty much everything else can be.
1: And that kind of goes into the fact that, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not a disease that is an incurable disease that is the worst thing that could happen to you. It's losing your hope. It's losing your belief that um, uh, God is who he says he is and his promises are good. Um, I'm looking at your book right now. Um, I, I, I am just interested. Um, uh, chapter 22 says this, Believing is not the same as knowing. Can you talk to me about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, so I told a story about um, surgery that I had done as a resident where I, I, I made a move that I thought was safe, and it wasn't actually safe, and we had a surgical complication, and my professor told me, you, you've got to see it to know it. Like, like seeing is better than believing. And so I remembered that and then think about stories like doubting Thomas, like he wasn't going to believe Mm. Jesus was alive again unless he could put his hands in the side, Yeah, right? He needed to see it and touch it and feel it. But the problem is there's so many times in life when it's so dark, and I can promise you if you lose a child that this is going to be true for you, God forbid anybody out there, but there's going to be some times when it's so dark that you can't see it Mm. and you can't touch it or feel it. But if you still can somehow, there's a verse uh, where Paul talked about Abraham. and He said, against all hope, yes. Abraham, in hope, believe. Romans 4. So I learned, yeah, so so the faith lives in the gap between against and hope, right? Yeah. Faith lives right in that zone between stuff you can't see, but you can still know. Mm. And so that's that's where we landed is, you know, that believing is better than knowing because sometimes what you think you know isn't actually true.
1: hmm. That is so good. I um I I am feeling that that, that there is, uh, people uh may, maybe they have lost a child. Um, I I'll I'll tell you, my um husband, I just lost my mother in law a couple months ago, so he's he's coming right. through, um, that and and there is there is just a lot of grief. I feel like grief is not um, is we don't talk about it enough. I've, I'm I'm I I love that you're actually talking about this. And stirring up this conversation a little bit because I just feel like people. Um, I know my husband. You know he, that was he, he lost his dad ten years ago and his mom a couple months ago. And um, there's even you know when you lose both parents, it's it's different than just just losing one. And you know there's different just emotional yeah. things that go with that. And um, I think sometimes um, people will think, "Man, I'm going crazy." No, you're grieving. <laughs> you're grieving. Right. It's a it's a, right. a actually a healthy thing to do. Can you just encourage, we just have, uh, I'd say a minute. Um, can you encourage those out there that maybe they've gotten a diagnosis and maybe they've lost a loved one? Maybe they're just, they just, maybe none of that. Maybe they just find themselves in overwhelming situations where their hope is being um, just d- taken away from them. They, they just don't, they can't, they can't, they can't help. Just like Abraham, he hoped against hope. Well, they're not hoping at all in Romans four. Can you encourage uh, just a final word, uh, th- them out there today? I can,
0: you know, I, what I've learned over time is that there are opportunities in pain to really find out who God is. And if you give them a window, he will be faithful, and Amen. every promise that He makes turns out to be true. And just that, you know, with the six years perspective, almost seven years perspective that we have on losing our son, I can see that even Romans eight twenty eight, which is impossible when you first lose somebody, when when it says, you know, all things can work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, that's impossible to believe in the moment. But since I started writing Autumn started blogging and podcasting and all that, I've had two people write to me and say they were about to commit suicide, oh, wow. but they didn't because of something I wrote that day. Mm. And so that doesn't redeem, it doesn't make it okay or good that I lost my son, but I know he would be proud mm. that the lessons we've learned from losing him have saved some other lives. Mm. And so whatever you're going through, there is purpose in it. There there will be redeem, redeemability in it, and you just have to hang on if you remember that it's the darkest night you've ever been in, you didn't have to do anything to make the sun rise again. God did that. You just had to wait Yeah. And stay alive long enough for the light to come back. And it will.
1: Amen. Wow. Uh, Dr. Warren, thank you so much. I, um, I'm just honored to have you on the show and to share, uh, just to share with us. And I just feel a personal connection with you because of what we've been through. Um, thank but you. thank you so much for being on the show. Um, and uh, you, where can they reach you, Dr. Warren, if they want to uh, listen to your podcast and, and and just follow along?
0: Great. So my podcast is everywhere you can get podcasts, uh, Dr. Lee Warren Podcast, easy, just my name. My website is M D, no punctuation, but just my name all jammed together. Um, I have a newsletter that people read all over the world every Sunday, and we just talk about this kind of stuff. So, Amazing. yeah, connect. We love, Lisa and I love to hear from folks and- and stay connected and it's been an honor to be with you today,
1: Autumn. Amazing. The book is called I've Seen the End of You. Dr. Lauren is my guest. Thank you guys for listening. We love you so much over here at the show. We'll uh, see you right back here tomorrow on The Autumn Miles Show.
0: The Autumn Miles Show is listener supported and your donation to keep her on the air is much appreciated. To make a donation, visit autumnmiles.com and if you make a donation of $100 or more, you'll receive an autographed copy of her book of the month. This program is underwritten by Merry Maids of Fort Worth. Your future starts now. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Autumn Miles Show on the Word 100.7 FM.